Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you're reading out of a pew Bible this morning, it'll be around page 976. Page 976. Now, excluding last week, for the three weeks previous to that, we have been discussing the three persons of the Trinity and their work in our salvation. Now, when we hear the word Trinity, we think of ivory towers. We don't think of pine pews, do we? And yet Paul takes this idea, and he does something very practical with it. He prays. So how does what we believe shape how we pray? Or to ask it in another way, how do we make our prayers count? That's going to be our sermon in a sentence this morning. Make your prayers count. Before we jump into the text, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word that you have given to us so that we may believe. Yet often we come with hardened hearts, darkened minds, ears that aren't ready to listen. So I pray that your spirit would be with us, that we may hear and believe and do all the things in your word, and that we may glorify your name in this life. Father, I ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. I'm going to tell you the most dangerous thing you can do today. Shake someone's hand and ask how they're doing. You might have to saw your arm off to get that hand back because people actually answer that question now and they tell you. And the reason why is because people are worried. People aren't worried over the normal things we're worried this time of the year, you know. Has my lawnmower blown a belt? Do I need to cut the air down another degree? Oh, what am I gonna do about the rising price of prescription drugs? That's normal concerns. Today, we're more concerned about things extraordinary. 
Will my children get COVID in college? Will I be able to get into the doctor's office? Or better yet, what does tomorrow hold? We have a very loose grip on tomorrow, the loosest grip we've had in a while. We have extraordinary concerns. Now when people shake your hand and you ask that brave question and they actually answer it, what do we do? We usually we just say, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's good. Or we give some shallow platitude. Or we tell them to look within and to work with all their strength. We expect that a box of ball lids and a box of 9mm shells will stave off the Armageddon. We charge the gates of hell with a super soaker and just deal with the singed eyebrows. But unfortunately, we all know that the strength that we have inside us is not enough. And today, Paul addresses that issue. Paul doesn't tell us to look in. Paul tells us to look out. Paul doesn't want us to take inventory of what we have in our pantry. Paul wants us to take inventory of what we have in Christ. In a word, Paul wants us to make our prayers count. Make our prayers count. We're going to ask two questions this morning. What do we need from God to make our prayers count? And what do we need to ask from God to make our prayers count? Let's tackle this first question. If we're going to make our prayers count, what do we need from God? Well, Paul starts off by saying this. May God give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. The first thing that we need from God is the Spirit to give us knowledge of Him. We need the Spirit to give us knowledge of Him. God has revealed these truths to us by His Spirit. Paul says the natural man doesn't know the things of the Lord because he's natural. And these things are spiritual. They're foolish to him. That's why some people can read up a, pick up a Bible and be just as inter- interested as reading a John Grisham novel. It's because they don't have the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 1 that the world refused to worship God and he gave them over to a darkened mind that they didn't understand as much as they used to. We need the Spirit. Now I want you to think for a moment. You walk down the stairs. It's dark. All the lights are off. And you stub your toe on an end table. And I'm sure you say, praise the Lord. Now in that moment, did the end table grow legs and move in front of you? No, the end table had been there the entire time. You just didn't have the light to see. The room hadn't changed. The table hadn't changed. The light had changed. That's why you can take an atheist scientist and a Christian scientist, and both are incredibly intelligent. And they come to different conclusions. It's not that the atheist isn't smart. It's that he isn't spiritual. The light isn't on. No one can comprehend the things of God without the Spirit of God. Now there was a teacher, his name was Hans Ruckemacher. And he taught at the Free University of Amsterdam, and his favorite class to teach was an introduction to art. Sounds riveting, doesn't it? 
He would take all of his students to an art museum on the first day of class and sit them in front of this obscure painting and say, tell me what you see. And within like five minutes, it was pretty quiet. Well, he would lecture the entire semester and he would never mention that piece of art. And on the last day of class, he'd take them to the same museum and the same artwork and guess what? After an hour, he'd have to shut it down. They wouldn't quit talking. Why? You see, the world tells you the more you see, the more you'll know. But that's not the truth of the matter. The truth is the more you know, the more you will see. Our prayers are in the same proportion to our knowledge. The world only knows about themselves. You don't believe me? Go up to someone, and if you don't know what to talk about, talk about them. They won't stop talking. Why? The world believes that there is a God in man. But you know what happens when we're constantly looking inward? What do we find? We find some pretty scary things. Darkness, doubt, disillusionment. We find a man that's powerless, helpless, and hopeless. When we constantly look inside and see that man... What do you think our prayers are going to look like? That's why Paul says that our prayers should be in proportion to our knowledge of God. That if we're going to pray big prayers, we need big thoughts of God. Do you know God this morning? Have you experienced Him firsthand? Do you know His greatness and His goodness? You have to know Him. We must know God for our prayers to count. But not only do we need God, the Spirit, to move in our minds, we need the Spirit to move in our hearts. We don't only need big thoughts, we need a big love for God. Now often when you read the Bible and you see the words darkened mind, you will often see the words a hardened heart. Now, why is this? Well, we're often guided by our desires, aren't we? If you don't believe me, feed a child. You set a plate of vegetables in front of a child. You say they'll make you strong. They'll make you healthy. They'll make you intelligent. You'll go to Princeton. It'll be fantastic. Don't matter what you say. The kid ain't going to eat the vegetables, are they? It's not because they don't know. They know all about the vegetables. But they don't want the vegetables. Same thing with smoking. People don't just stop smoking because they don't want to. They know smoking's bad for them. But they find something they desire more than smoking. Don't we see this from David? David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. These are words of experience. The love of the Lord is not going to be snuffed out because we know how worthless or the love for the world will not be snuffed out because we know the world is worthless. We have lots of worthless things that we love, don't we? The love for the world will only be snuffed out when we begin to love God more. When we love the wonder and the worth and the beauty of our God, when God enlightens the eyes of our heart. This is why the entire law can be summed up into one word. Love. 
That's why Christianity is a heart religion. Charles Hodge says that the Christian faith is essentially relational, personal, and intimate. Relational, personal, and intimate. The difference between the hypocrite and the believer is the heart. The hypocrite can say, I believe, just like the child knows the broccoli is good for them. But the believer actually eats the broccoli. The believer actually loves God, and he loves him from the heart. Now, where is our heart this morning? Notice that God does the work here. God gives the Spirit. God opens the eyes of our heart. If God is working in our life, the knowledge and love of God should grow. And these things work in tandem. The more you know, the more you love. You remember dating, don't you? You get to know some things about your honey boo, and you love them. And then the more you love them, the more you want to find out. And it just keeps going and going and going. This is how these things work together with God. We read of these men in history, and you read, and it says, oh, they prayed for four hours, and you know, you're thinking, man, I can barely make it four minutes. And you think, how did they do it? Well, they started off with small prayers. And as their knowledge and love for God grew, guess what? So did their prayers. Do you want your prayers to count? It begins in the same place. We need the Spirit to give us big thoughts and a big heart for the Lord. We have to make our prayers count. So we've discussed so far that we need the Spirit to work in our heart and our minds. But we must ask the question, what in the world do we ask for? What do we need to ask God in prayer? Now before we dive into this question, let's, let me ask some questions about Ephesus. None of us here have probably been to Ephesus. But it don't take much common knowledge to figure this out. Do you think people in Ephesus dealt with cancer? Probably so. Do you think people in Ephesus lost loved ones? Probably so. Do you think people in Ephesus dealt with unemployment? Probably so. I could go into any house on Canada Cross Road and at least one person in every house will have dealt with those problems. These are problems common to being human. But look at what Paul prays in verse 18. I pray that you may know the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Paul's prayer says more about us than it says about Him. You see, when we pray, it sounds more like an, or an organ donor list, doesn't it? Oh, I pray for Bertha May's kidneys, and I pray for so-and-so's heart. It, it sounds like an organ donor list sometimes. Why? Because our hope and our inheritance and our power are earthly. We have our hearts and our minds set on things here below. We're self-absorbed because this is all we know. If we had a spiritual hope, and a spiritual inheritance, and a spiritual power, we would pray spiritual things. We would open vistas to a new world, and we would plant our flag there. 
This is what Paul does. Now what does Paul ask for? How can we ask these things today? First, we should ask to know our hope. We should ask to know our hope. John Owen says this, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintance with our privileges. Let me read that again. Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintance with our privileges. Believers don't need more blessings. Paul says in Ephesians 1.4 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's like Zoe. She has every stuffed animal imaginable. She don't need no more. Same way, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We don't need more blessings. We need to know how to enjoy the ones we have. I once worked for a lady. She loved to have all the newest techno gadgets. She bought one of the first smartphones built by HTC. Some of y'all probably don't even know who HTC is. I don't even think they're in business anymore. And do you know what she did with her smartphone? She sent text messages. Why? Because she didn't know what else the phone could do. And when I actually showed her, hey, you can get on the internet and there's this thing called Facebook or back then it was MySpace and it just opened a whole new world for her. Why? She didn't know what the phone was capable of. And when we pray, we often pray worldly things because we're not acquainted with spiritual things. We don't know the hope of our calling. But don't you know that if God has called us, He'll bring us home? John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name, and I lead them in and out to green pasture. Do you think Jesus forgets any of His sheep? Now, let's put some legs on this for a minute. We're going to take Bertha May. You may not know Bertha May, but we all have a Bertha May in our life. She's struggling with sickness. She's caving in under cancer. How are you going to pray for Bertha May? Now, when you're sick like that, when you're down, you feel like God's down on you. Like God doesn't love you anymore. Like there's no way that you're going to make it to heaven if God doesn't love you here. You're joyless, graceless, and you wonder if there's any spots in heaven left for you. How would you pray for her? You see, Bertha May needs more than hope for this world. She needs a hope for the next world. She needs hope. She needs the hope of her calling. That even in the midst of suffering, that she needs the assurance of God's love, the joy of the Holy Ghost, the peace of conscience, and the increase of grace. She needs to know the hope of her calling. If she gets healthy but has no hope, she's no good. If she doesn't believe that God can get her to the end, if she can't see God's hand at work in her life, it doesn't matter how healthy she is. She's not going to be healthy here. And you can be healthy, but not healthy here, and hurt, can't you? She needs to know the hope of her calling. This is how we make, we make prayer count. But not only do we need to know the hope of our calling, but we should ask to know His inheritance. That we should ask to know God's inheritance. Think with me for a minute. 
God takes a bunch of sinners destined for hell, tainted with sin, filthy, and He calls them His children. More than calling them His children, He calls them His inheritance. And He only does it because of Christ. So that when God looks at you, you filthy, hell-bound sinner, He sees Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how much God loves you? Do you know how much God values you? Our prayer shouldn't be that people get to enjoy more of the world. Our prayer should be that they would live in the world like those loved and enjoyed by God. That they would know that they are God's inheritance. So let's think back to our friend Bertha May, struggling with sickness, caving in under cancer. How do you pray for Bertha May? Do you know what question I hear the most when people are suffering? Why? Why is God doing this for me? Why is God afflicting me this way? Well, let me tell you. God doesn't prune weeds. God prunes flowers. That we are God's inheritance. And that He will redeem us. That this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That our suffering has a purpose. We could pray that her suffering would be removed, but we could pray something a little bit more. As Thomas Boston says, we could pray that she would be quieted and satisfied in the place she finds herself in. That she could lift her eyes to heaven and see God's work and see His operation in her lives. Quite simply, we should pray that she would see God's loving hand guiding her situation. That she would see that she is God's inheritance and that He is using all things in heaven and earth to prepare her for that moment. If we're going to make our prayers count, we must count on our inheritance in heaven. But beyond this inheritance and beyond this hope, we should ask to know the might of His power. Now what kind of power are we talking about, Zach? Not dynamite, not an explosion in the Middle East country, not a stimulus package, not the power of the U.S. government. These are worldly powers, earthly powers. But we have a spiritual power. In Revelation 14.4, John says that God's people follow the Lamb wherever they go. And look at where the lamb went. He was raised from the dead. He suffered first. He suffered. And then he went into glory. He endured the onslaughts of Satan. The judgment of Pilate. The corruption of the Pharisees. And he was raised from the dead by God's mighty power. By the power of the Spirit. And now he is seated in heaven. He is the faithful and true judging and making war. His teary eyes are replaced by flames of fire. His crown of thorns replaced by royal diadems. His suffering replaced by judgment. Do you need this power? When we think of earthly power, just be honest with yourselves. We can barely get things rolling in our own local government, much less around the world. Earthly powers won't do us very good. Do we think earthly powers will help us against the likes of Satan, tempting, 
and torturing us day by day. No. You turn on CNN, you turn on Fox News, and what do they talk about? Economic power. Military power. Political power. But let me tell you something. A new stimulus package won't quiet your conscience. A military strike will not defeat Satan. Anybody elected in office will not assure you of God's love. These things are not able to help with the deepest recesses of our hearts. We need a spiritual power. Now think of your friend Bertha May, sick with cancer. Satan loves to attack the weak. And we could pray lots of things. But you know, we have a spiritual power who is risen and reigning above every power, authority, and government. Above every name that is named on heaven and earth. Bertha May will not resist the devil in her own strength. Bertha May will not accomplish her calling in her own strength. Bertha May will not develop healthy, God-honoring relationships in her own strength. Bertha May will not deal with sin and self-centeredness in her heart and her own strength. Bertha May needs a spiritual power. You see, I remember in Mark 8, Peter, Jesus says, Hey, I'm about to go to supper on the cross. And Peter says, Oh, no, you're not. Peter just wanted the suffering to end. But what did Jesus tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan. So often we pray in a worldly way and think earthly things, just like Peter. Bertha May could recover all the strength in the world, but that strength would not be enough. She would falter and fail if she did not have a spiritual power. My friends, if we want our prayers to count, we must count on the greatness of God's power. Only God's power will cause us to persevere in suffering and affliction. Only God's power will guide us to that celestial city. We must pray for this power if we want our prayers to count. In closing, we all want our prayers to count, don't we? It's hard to pray sometimes. You mean you get two minutes in and you just, you're done. You look down, it feels like it's been an hour. What do we do to make our prayers count? First, we have to have a knowledge and love for God. Second, we have to ask God for spiritual things. Now let me do a pop quiz. Say you knew five men about to be executed for their faith. What would you pray for? What would you pray for? Would you pray for a political maneuver? Would you even know what to pray? Well, John Calvin wrote a letter to these five men, and I'm not going to read the whole letter. I'm just going to read a few snippets. Let me read to you what he wrote. At this present hour, necessity itself exhorts you to turn your whole mind heavenward. You know, however, in what strength you have to fight, a strength on, the, on which all those who trust shall never be daunted, much less confounded. Even so, my brothers, be confident that you shall be strengthened according to your need by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, so you will not faint under temptation, no matter how heavy they be. 
seeing that God employs your life in a cause as worthy as the gospel, do not doubt that your life is precious to Him. Where we despise the whole world with its pride, we will be gathered to an everlasting kingdom and fully enjoy those blessings we now possess by hope. Did you notice some of the key phrases? Hope, inheritance, strength, power. And as these five men were martyred for their faith, they could be heard saying to one another, Courage, my dear brothers. Courage. Calvin's prayer counted. Now I'll put a pen at the end of each of your pews. Or in some of you, it might be in the box. And now the pen's been here for 24 hours, so it doesn't have COVID on it. Okay? I want you to do a project. Take your bulletin. Write a name of one person. And I want you to take it home. Go to your Bible to Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 and write that name. And I want you to pray for them this week. I want you to pray these things. I don't care if you pray two minutes or two hours. Simply pray. And I want to hear about it. We don't, I don't know any martyrs. None of us may either. But we all know somebody who's struggling. We all know someone who's suffering. We all know someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have someone to pray for. And if you don't think of anyone, pray for me. It'll keep you plenty busy. But pray. Will we pray little prayers to the God we know little of? Or will we pray big prayers? Will we pray for earthly blessings that fade or heavenly blessings that endure? Will our prayers count? With that being said, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are a God who hears prayers. And not only are you able and faithful in hearing prayers, but you're mighty and strong to save. That you're the God who can do anything in heaven and earth as you please, and you've been pleased to hear us. Father, help us to pray. Help us to grow in prayer. Help us to be a church of prayer. That we may be few, but may we lift up many to you in prayer. And I pray that you would be effectual in these things. Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.